This episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western is the leading provider of venture debt and banking services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Brex. Designed specifically for venture-backed startups, Brex is the perfect corporate card for fast-growing companies. Head to brex.com and sign up with the promo TFR to get waived card fees for life. Welcome to the podcast about investing in startups, where existing investors can learn how to get the best deal possible. And those that have never before invested in startups can learn the keys to success from the venture experts. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet. Welcome to another special release of Investor Stories. On this installment, the experts discuss a startup that they did not invest in, why they passed, and if there was a key learning that now informs their approach. Here's the segment called Why I Passed. Today, Christopher Mirabile joins us from the Launchpad Venture Group. Christopher, can you tell us a story about a startup that you chose not to invest in, why it was that you passed, and if there was a key learning that now informs your approach? Well, you know, there's the, there's the ones where you're, you're glad, you, <laughs> glad you didn't, Um, and then there's the embarrassing ones where you passed, you know, I think the area that is troublesome for us here in Boston, which is a town with an enormous number of college students and a ton of research money and raw technology, you know, MIT, we have, it's these ones that look really promising, but when you really get down to it, it's kind of still a science experiment and the founders are technical and there's really no business experience on the team that nobody's done it before and you want to love it, but you can't quite get there. And I've had a few situations where I've fallen in love with the team or the technology and thankfully sobered up before writing the check and and seeing (laughs) these companies, seeing them go on to really kind of struggle to find a business model and to get this technology to market in some kind of a, a capital efficient way. So, you know, that's something that in a city like Boston, you see a lot of raw tech and raw science experiment sort of looking for a problem to solve. Yeah, I wrote a little reminder to myself about six months ago that says, don't fall in love on the first date. Yeah. (laughs) You you see these companies the first time and the ones that are in your sort of screening set, uh, some of them just sound fantastic. And then you get a little further down the path and... uh, you're just setting yourself up for sort of a disappointment. Yeah, it's really a trough of disillusionment, right? I mean, when you first hear about something, it's awesome and the entrepreneur is charming. And, and you know, when you begin to really look at it and, and take different opinions and so forth, you'll often really fall out of love with it. And I think angel investing is about having the perspective to get across that trough and then get back to a place where you write the check. And it takes a lot of experience and having done a lot of deals to sort of understand that all of these things are going to have some warts on them, but uh, which ones are, are going to be acceptable and are going to be recoverable and which ones too many warts or they're too serious. And I think that it's an imperfect art. You never get perfect at it, but with time, you tend to get a sense of which little hiccups can be overlooked and which ones really you need to just stop the presses. On today's special segment, we have Leo Polovets of Sousa Ventures. Leo, can you tell us a story about a startup that you had significant interest in, 
but chose not to invest and what the key factors were that led you to pass? I guess uh, unfriendly terms were definitely things that made us pass a couple of times. And it's always a shame because we have a lot of conviction about the company. We like the founders, the product, but we just can't, we kind of can't get there in the valuation. And there's one specific startup where I really liked that they were basically building a really smart sensor-based platform for marketing. So you can go to a store and then just by proximity to something, you get a coupon or you get a special deal. And the way they had done it was very elegant and nice. And the challenge was that I think they were raising at about three or four times the valuation we would have pegged them at. And we tried to talk to them about it and you know, kind of ask like, hey, how do you justify this really high valuation? And their justification was basically, well, we need X million dollars and we don't want to take too much dilution. So our, our valuation is what it is because we need this much money which I think is not a great justification. Just because you need the money doesn't mean that that's the right price you know, for you to raise that. So we discussed it for a while within the team and then basically decided we couldn't invest on those terms. And that's happened a couple of times to other companies as well. Interesting. Sounds like they could have benefited from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> did they end up closing the round or did they uh, sort of ratchet back their fundraise amount and come down to more interesting levels? To be honest, I'm not sure. This was a couple of months ago, and I haven't heard about them closing around, so I'm not sure. They were in a strange position where I mentioned earlier that sometimes angels are a little more price insensitive. So they actually raised a pretty rich angel round before this, which I think limited their options in terms of how low their valuation could go for this round that they're currently raising. Got it. You had mentioned there are some other terms or some other factors that have led you to pass on investments? Are there some in particular that have come up more often than others, aside from valuation? Prorata has come up a couple of times where if we can't get prorata rights, then I think that's that makes it a little bit harder for us to invest. We'll still do it sometimes, but I think it sets up a higher hurdle for like when we would invest or not. This episode of TFR is brought to you by Brex. Your startup is going to change the world, and the right corporate card will get you there even faster. The Brex Corporate Card for Startups offers 10 to 20 times higher limits than traditional corporate cards, automated expense tools, and huge rewards like four times points back on travel, three times back on restaurants, and two times back on recurring SaaS spend, and all with no personal guarantee. Sign up at Brex.com and get waived card fees for life with the code TFR. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Assure. For over three years, Newstack has been raising capital on a deal-by-deal -deal basis, allowing individual investors to select each startup investment. Assure is the company behind the scenes that powers this process. When we have 10, 20, or 30 angels investing in a startup, we can't put all those folks directly on the startup's cap table. So those investors are rolled into a special purpose vehicle that occupies just one line item on the cap table. And Assure handles all ongoing fees, finances, and K-1s for us. We pay a one-time upfront fee, and avoid all the required yearly admin filings and bills. If you run an angel group, or you would like your LPs to invest in deal-by-deal -deal sidecars, go to assure.co slash TFR for 20% off your first SPV. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western specializes in providing financial services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors, helping to navigate financial obstacles by providing access to funds and expertise. Pacific Western's customized products and team of venture banking specialists provides a banking experience designed specifically with startups and VCs in mind. If you run a tech company, 
or if you invest in tech companies, it's strongly advisable that you build a relationship with the folks at Pacific Western. Go to PacWest.com to learn more. On today's Investor story segment, we have Charlie O'Donnell of Brooklyn Bridge Ventures. Charlie, can you tell us a story about a startup that you were very interested in, but chose not to invest in, and why it was that you passed? Sure. I wish I could say that there was never a deal that I missed and that every single great deal that come down the pipeline I've caught, but there are lots of regrets. It's interesting though, most of them are ones where I didn't even get close and they turned out to be good investments. And I have more stories like that than ones that I was on the fence about. So for example, got a chance to see ClassPass very early. And at the time it was called Classativity. Classativity was a different business model. It was a class search. So it was basically Google for classes. The problem was is that people didn't know what classes they were looking for. In fact, what is now ClassPass solves a lot of that problem because they enable people to discover classes that they didn't know about. I didn't back it. The founder didn't stick with that, that model. She realized it wasn't working. Payal was very impressive in person. And we talked about the economics of that search and referral based model. And the math didn't really work. The tough part is, is that when you aim to be the first person that someone goes to with a pitch, a lot of times if you turn them down, they don't come back to you. And the benefit of the pivot goes to the eighth best investor they know, because they're working their way down their list of who they really want in their deal. And they try to pivot out on the next investor down the list, as opposed to the seven who turned them down previously. Is ClassPass the gym membership? Class yes, it's sharing? the unlimited monthly gym membership, which plays right into how their mostly female audience wants to work out. They want diversity. They want to experience new things. And they don't always know exactly what they want in their workout next month. And so there's a discovery mechanism versus what was more of a search tool. And it's incredibly popular. I could certainly count that as a myth. But I didn't pass on class pass. I passed on classivity. The founder herself passed on classivity. <laughs> she changed models. But that happens more often than not. I just realized I was also one of the probably first 25 or 50 users of a site called HubDub. Do you know what HubDub is? No idea. Well, HubDub became FanDuel. Oh, wow. And HubDub was a prediction site where you went on this very bare bones site and you said, hey, I think the New York Jets are going to lose 13 games this year. And then somebody would come along and say they did or they didn't. And so you could kind of make bets with your friends. And they didn't really have a critical mass. It wasn't necessarily compelling. The founders were in Europe. And so it's not like you could have met with them very easily and had a conversation and said, oh, well, you know, these guys are smart guys. They'll, they'll figure it out. And then they wound up pivoting to uh, daily fantasy betting through the loophole of the daily fantasy is not a skill-based game. And they're a billion-dollar valuation company these days. But nobody bet on HubDub. I don't think they raised any money for HubDub, but that's what that became. <laughs> Do you come across businesses just in your everyday life and your everyday habits that you pursue for investment? You find them as opposed to maybe meeting them or interacting at a startup or tech-oriented event? Yeah. There are companies where I've gotten to know the founder through the community 
I'll talk about this one company. I can't disclose which one it is, though, unfortunately. But the founder came to me who was a product manager, and he was looking for his next thing. And I've built up a reputation for helping people out with recruiting and job placement. And knew I had invested in a lot of companies and figured they might have an opening. And so I opened the door to sort of career counselor almost. And we talked about a potential group of opportunities. And, and it just didn't seem like anything was sticking. I've got this side project. And the side project was in the education space. It was a very interesting distributed model. Sometimes founders get to scalability because they start off part-time. And so they build it in a way that it doesn't require a lot of their time, which is a great way to build a business. And told me about the business. And I said, well, you know, I really like that. I think you should do it. I said, well, you know, that's not the type of thing that VCs fund. I said, I would totally fund that. Let's look at the math. Let's build a model around it. Let me introduce you to a bunch of related people in the space. And him and his wife were working. And they both wound up going full-time on this business that I just recently led the seed round of. So he wasn't pitching, and I convinced them to work on this thing full-time. Wow. So he just stopped the planned business, and he went with this side business? Well, he stopped his career as a product manager working for other people. Oh, gotcha. And had a little side thing. And basically like, didn't think that what his side project was fundable, or didn't think that VCs would fund it. Circling back to something you said before about pivoting, I'm curious on your decision to pass or proceed with businesses that you know may have to pivot. And if you can see where they're going to pivot to, whether it be business model or maybe product pivot, how do you make decisions on businesses? You know they got a strong team, you know they're in a good market, but you can sense that there's going to be a pivot. Is it a pass and wait until they explore that new opportunity? Or can you proceed with an investment on a business that you feel like may have to do a major pivot? Well, sometimes you go into a business and the bet is, I really like this team, I like this space, and we got enough time to figure it out. And it's sort of a, we know we're going to try a few things. I can't say I've really done too many. I'm trying to think if I've done any of those, actually. But I think it would be very hard if you thought that there should be a different move that the company's making and the founders didn't think so, you got to be on the same page as the founders. I'll give you a real life example. There's a company out of Techstars in New York with a terrific team called Spoon University. Their distributed content model, they're sort of if every single campus were to set up its own eater, but the students all work on it. So you bring so your own mini version of eater to your campus. And I love distributed models. I backed Chloe and Isabel when I was at First Round Capital. I've backed a couple in my fund. And so I really like the model of individual operators sort of pulling something into a market for various incentives. And they're focused on food as a vertical. And I personally think that vertical is too small. I think it's a terrific team. And if that team came to me and said, we're going to sort of replace the campus newspaper with student-run publications on a platform and cover everything. We'll, we'll do sports and we'll do news and politics and all sorts of stuff. And every campus is going to have this thing. That would be very interesting to me with that team. We had conversations about it and they're focused on the food. They want to be the next food channel starting out with campuses and they will definitely fill that round. They will get backers. We've seen media companies like Mashable, and Refinery29 go for a long time in one vertical, get really big and break out. 
But I think in each of those categories, they were potentially big and lucrative enough categories to build venture-backable businesses. I think I would just be like too at odds with the team to be a productive investor. I'm a lead investor. If I was passive, if I was just writing small checks and just say, hey, those guys will eventually figure it out and they'll come around to this and I'll try not to make too much noise about it and try and be helpful. Maybe I'd go in, but as a lead investor, you really need to be on the same page team. That will wrap up this installment of Investor Stories. Head over to thefullratchet.net to leave a comment, sign up for the newsletter, or find resources discussed on any of the episodes. Until next time, remember to over-prepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. Thanks for listening. 